Well, good evening. I'm thankful that you have joined us tonight, and um, we are going to have a great night. You know, uh, I'll tell you, I am grateful for the calling that God has placed on our lives. You know, uh, when I was young, have you heard of a guy named Steve Camp? You heard of Steve Camp, musician. And, um, and, and after the Lord called me to ministry, I, I just, I was thinking about the church and I was thinking about our my, a call, what it meant to be a pastor. And, um, and we use that term sometimes uh, that we're, you're called to ministry. And I remember my preacher going, I, you're a preacher boy called to ministry. And as I got into the word and as I got into really preparing to answer this call to ministry, I, I came to recognize that, that our entire church is called to ministry. That I'm called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Amen. And the church is not a building. It's not a location. The church is a people. And, and God is so faithful to strategically place us all over um, the world, really. And, um, and Steve Camp wrote this song when I was young, and, I, and it really, it still resonates with me, and I still, I, I think about it a lot. I sing it a lot to myself, and, and just, you know, I don't bless people too much with my singing. But, um, but um, it's called Run. It's okay. Sorry. Sorry, Rob. It's called Run to the Battle. And in that song, he, he, he makes the statement, some people want to live in the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell, taking the gospel and sharing it well. Look around you, don't you hesitate, for another soul just fell. We've got to run to the battle. And you know, as a church, that's what we're called to do. We, are, we, we've got, we sometimes forget that we are called to a spiritual battle. That we're called to a place. Uh, what I love about the call of a pastor, the call of a church, is that we are called to a specific place at a specific time to a specific people. Now let's think about this. That, that we live here. You know, God could have chosen, could have orchestrated us to live anywhere. But he's called us to live here. And so um, we're, we're a church, we're a people that are called to, to this place. Um, you know, we're called during this time. Don't we live in interesting times? Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I turn on the news and I think, wow, Lord, we live in such interesting times. You know, when... when um, my first full-time church, I was in Ada, Oklahoma. And I don't know if you know much about Ada, but uh, they have quite a football legacy in Ada, Oklahoma. And, um, and especially when I was there, I, I kept saying, well, it's because of their youth ministry. That's why they're so good. Uh, but um, the entire time that I was in Ada, they did not lose one football game the entire, the entire time. But, but it, they didn't lose any of the years before or the years after. They were just so good. And, um, and it's interesting to me because uh, the, their, their quarterback was a man-child. I mean, 
And uh, we're going to post this online. I don't want to say his name because I'm going to say something kind of bad about him. But uh, he's a good guy, good kid, good kid, but a phenomenal football player. Like I watched him one time in the state semifinal game get hit on the 25-yard line by several guys, and he carried them all to the end zone. And we were like, that's embarrassing. You know, but um, um, somehow, right after he signed to play with OU, he got a new car. I don't know how that happened, um, but I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, weird coincidence, uh, but uh, that was him. Kind of some days that might have been a little shady, you know, you, but, um, and I'm, I love the singers, but uh, there might have been a couple of shady days. Um, but um, when he went to that university, it was during a quarterback controversy, and no one wanted the job. And it was interesting, as, um, as no one wanted to run to that battle. And I thought about that. That's not who we're supposed to be as a church. We're supposed to be a church that runs to the battle. And, and not forget that we're called to, to this place during this time in the history of the world um, to a people that we're around. And so this class is so important for us. Because as we wrestle through some of these things that are pushing us spiritually, intellectually, uh, we, need to, we, need to, we need to be prepared to engage the culture that we live and the people that we're around during the time that God has planted us. Now, I want you to watch this. It's just a four-minute video clip. And uh, it's going to just be on the middle screen because for some reason my computer is not working on that screen, so we're we're double computered up. But by golly, we're going to get this done. So, uh, but I want you to just take a look at this video. There's been a lot of talk about identity lately. But how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go to whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'd be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I'd say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because 
on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. So if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason you do right now. If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think we can say that. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, you're like, that's wrong to believe in it, because I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? You know, uh, I, I've had a really, really busy uh, 24 hours um, because of just some, uh, we had a funeral today and, and some things, but, but I did catch a little bit of news uh, last night and, uh, and a little bit this morning, and, um, and, and we're just in a really interesting spot as a nation. As, as um, I listened to a few reporters talk about the pardoning of, of an Oklahoman, now, now someone that grew up in Oklahoma, who is a male. But everybody is referring to him as a her. And, it's, and, and I, I'll be honest, it sounds so silly. It sounds like, like, like I, I don't, I just scratch my head and think, and, and I think of that. I think of, of how we, we live in this culture that is so, that is struggling to wrap their head around truth, about what is true. And, and if we can, you know, what we're going to do tonight, I want you to have your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. 
phenomenal passage of scripture. Romans 1 is, 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 some, is a passage through this study you ought to consider. Uh, it, it's, I just want us to turn our attention quickly to verses 18 and 19, 18 to 20 really. But, but it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And you, and you know what's interesting is I, I evaluate where we are, the time that we live, the culture that we live. There is a, there is a, um, a real pressure, a growing pressure to suppress the truth. And, and it goes on, for what can, be made, what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. Now, um, God has revealed himself. He, is, he has helped us understand who he is and what he's like. And, and that's, that's the foundation of us as believers, as Christians, as Christ followers, that, that the word of God has, has spoken. We see God's word as, as revelation of God. And, and, and God has revealed himself through his word. He was so clear about helping us understand who he is and what he's like, he entered human history. You know, Christ incarnate. He, he incarnated. Christ came in the flesh and, and revealed who he is and who he was. And he did this through the prophets. He did this through creation. He, did, uh, he, he, is, he has been faithful to let us know and help us understand who he is. And, and I'm grateful for that. Oh my goodness, I'm so grateful because, and, and God has made it plain. Look at this, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. And it's this in, incarnate, this, like as, as a human being, <coughs> As long as we have had thought, philosophical thought and understanding, uh, we have sought to know where we came from, origins. How did it all get here? And every thinking person looks at the universe and goes, it's, it can't be an accident. I mean, I've had, uh, like I was, I was teasing with Leon about tools, you know, in my, in my garage, I have had many accidents trying to fix something. Have you ever done that in, in your house? I'm constructionally challenged, okay? I've had to repent more uh, in working with tools than I ever had. In, in maybe, maybe playing tennis was worse. I've had to repent more playing tennis. But second is fixing stuff. I mean, one time I built an entertainment center, and it wasn't that cool anyway. And, and uh, I forgot to measure... I measured inside, but I didn't measure the entrance, and I couldn't get it in. It was terrible. I, I didn't think about that, you know. So I repented often. But, um, but, um, but it's obvious as we look at creation, this isn't an accident. There's so much design and purpose in the world, in our lives. Um, and, and so... Right there, verse 20 ends, so they are without excuse. Now, <clears throat> the goal tonight is not to rile us up and go, man, let's go kick their tail. Let's go start a, you know, fight. 
No. Let's, let's change the world. Let's, let's be a witness as we're processing this study, as we learn to defend our faith and learn how to do this um, through the, the book of Acts. You know, that God, the Holy Spirit gives us power, power to do what? To be witnesses. And like we said from the beginning, of, like we said last week, you need to be ready to, to give an answer. You need to be ready to, to be a witness because God is preparing you to, to stand up, to, to articulate your faith to somebody in your life. And, and so I would challenge you to begin praying, Lord, who is it that, that, that I'm to, to witness to, to, to be a witness, to, to represent you as an ambassador? How are you preparing me? And this is important. Now, um, as we, oh, I, that verse was up there, sorry. But you said, there it is. Romans 18, sorry, 18 20. Now, sorry, there's three truths that I want us to talk to. And I, I, tonight, I just went ahead and filled in your blanks, okay? Because, you know, sometimes my, my blank creation, it, it's, it's in my mind, and, and it's not always linear. I, I kind of think, so let me, I helped you out a little bit, so follow my train of thought with my boxes. So um, it's the creative side of me, sorry. But, but we've got to get back to three different truths. One is philosophical truth. That, that we've got to be a people that, that learn how to think and, and are able to think. And, and one of the things I want you to know is you don't have to check your brain at the door to walk with Jesus. And, and this is not something that we do. And there are, there are college campuses that articulate that, that, that some of our children go to college and they're not ready because they face some of these questions, they face some of these struggles, and, and it's our job to prepare them. Like I look at my children, it's my job to prepare them. And that's why I'm grateful for our student ministry and our children's ministry because we're not putting our head in the sand on difficult issues. Our students are encountering and facing uh, questions. And, and I don't know if you knew this, but, but even last year, there were a group of high school seniors that graduated this year. And for, for a year and a half, they led a study on apologetics and, and what we're doing tonight. And, and, and I had actually, they came to my office once and said, hey, we want to start a, a Bible study and on apologetics. Would you help us? I'm like, yeah, oh my goodness, I bought them all books. I mean, we, we just like funneled all this stuff to them. And, and, um, and, and so it was fun to watch our students prepare. And, and, and this is what we've got to do as well. But we've got to learn how to think. We've got to get back to this philosophical truth. Now, I want to prepare you for tonight because we're going to engage, engage in some philosophical truths. So you, you need to be ready. You need to think. We're going to push you. This is middle sweat time. This is not like dog and pony show entertainment, putting it on the bottom shelf, okay? We're, we're going to make you think a little bit tonight. We've got to get back to moral truth, right and wrong. And this is something that I pray that we, we understand. Isn't it interesting that this girl said, and there's so many holes in some of these arguments, but, oh, I don't want to face boundaries. I mean, if I was smart aleck, and I'm not, most of the time. But, uh, uh, I would have said, well, I'm going to steal your backpack right now. Well, yeah. why would you have that? Don't, I don't have any boundaries, you know? Yeah. I bet she'd have a problem with that. She obviously doesn't have kids because I guarantee you she wouldn't want a, guy, a transgender guy going to her first grade child's classroom. <laughs> you know, she'll grow properly, but maybe not. But, but we, we have to determine right and wrong. Let me tell you something. There is right and there is wrong. 
and, and the Bible helps us with that. <clears throat> Last third thing, we've got to get back to biblical truth. And, and we've got to know the Bible. We've got to know, know the Word of God. We, we've, got to, we've got to not be afraid to wrestle with some of these things. Like, for instance, uh, we're giving you some books. You, I would challenge you to buy them. Invest in them. You know, uh, wrestle through them. These are not easy books that you're going to... It's not the far side. I mean, I love the far side. You know what the far side is? They're great. I love the far side. This is not the um, one-minute Bible. Those are great for devotionals. But that should not be your only diet of, of, of theology and of biblical understanding and of wrestling. I would challenge us to, to um, not just read, I don't even, what are some popular authors that, uh, I'm trying to think of what my wife reads sometimes, uh, Twilight books. I don't, I've never read them, but, uh, but, but we should stretch ourselves a little farther than just a good story. Stories are not bad. I mean, you just got to push yourself. And I want to challenge us to be a group of believers that push ourselves. And that, and that when we, we, we choose to think, we choose to develop this, when I say biblical worldview, that, that we learn to see our lives through the lens of Scripture and, and recognize that God has a plan. God is working. God is at, at work in our lives. He's, he's moving. He is, he is shaping us. And we're allowing God to move us. We're allowing God's Word to change our minds. And we're coming to the Word with this decision that, Lord, we're going to start to think like you, not like me, not like I naturally I naturally think. Lord, I'm going to allow you to transform my mind, renew my mind like the Scripture says. And so these are the challenges. Now, we're beginning tonight to wrestle through some philosophical truths on the existence of God. And so, Rob, you're up. So, first off, excuse me, um, it will be a little bit of a challenging evening. This is, uh, I like this stuff, but not everybody does, but we have to wrestle a little bit with it. Um, last week, we started out with an idea of why is it important? Why is it important to talk about these things and to um, have, let's just say, a, a right end in mind. When we're, when we're coming to apologetics, we're not talking about trying to win arguments, right? Uh, but the thing is, is I love C.S. Lewis, he, he talks about that there is a need, all right, for good philosophy to exist, and for no other reason, but to provide an answer to bad philosophy. But what does that mean? That means that you're going to have to rub shoulders with people who disagree with you. And when you do, you need to be prepared, right? And that's what 1 Peter 3.15, that, that whole thing that's talking about. But what is 1 Peter 3.15, he prefaces it. First off, he says, um, sanctify or set aside Christ, right, in your hearts. So you're, getting, you're getting, getting that right that prepares you to engage and to offer defense. But then he says, with gentleness and respect. Right? So we can't leave either one of those out as we're doing that middle thing. The thing we're going to do tonight is, is, is wrestle with the idea 
um, does God exist? And so remember, um, we talked about there were two main things, and I'm looking up there as if it's up there. It's not, but we had the chasm last week. Do you remember the chasm? And you've got to build a bridge, and as part of our role as apologists is to try to build or create an environment in which faith can grow. We can't cause faith to grow, but we can start to help create that environment in which it can grow through God working through us, right? Remember? And one of the things that we've got to do is identify what are the things that are currently an obstacle to someone coming to faith, all right? Super, super critical. Do, does anyone remember what the two main obstacles are? There is the intellectual, and what's the other one? Emotional, that's exactly right. And both of them require different solutions, don't they? If someone's got an intellectual problem, remember we said that, that they, don't, they don't need a hug? They need some help wrestling through some ideas, all right? Now if someone's got an emotional uh, obstacle, they don't need these rigid, rigid, cold arguments about the existence of God, do they, in that moment? Is that going to mean anything to them? So we've got to always keep in mind, what is the bridge that we're trying to build? What type of bridge do we need to build? So next week we're going to get into dealing with the problem of evil, which is more in line with what we would say is the emotional side. And we'll wrestle with that. That's what, you know, philosophy would say the, the existential side, the, the part that we, we put flesh and blood on, we experience, we hurt. Right? And we sort of think, does God even care? Or, or what kind of God would allow this? So we're going to deal with that side of it. This week we're going to deal with more of the intellectual. All right? uh, and the idea is, is this, these, none of these will be a silver bullet. Um, premise two, you won't remember most of this. Okay? We don't have enough time to properly build what we call this schema. So this is going to be a flyby, but I highly, 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 highly encourage you to listen to this again, but also turn to the resources that we'll refer to, as I love, Rick is coming up to me, you know, he's like, man, I've been listening to William McCrandon and Robbie Zacharias, and like, that's exactly what it is. You know, I've been doing this, uh, Ben Walters asked me, um, he said, how, how, how long have you prepared this? I'm like, I feel like my whole life. Like, this is like every single day, these are the guys I'm reading and, and watching, um, and I don't get it the first time, all right? You gotta just you just gotta do it over and over and over. So I'm gonna just clear expectations. You won't remember most of this, but we've gotta start somewhere. There's gotta be an exposure, and then we can start to build from that. Does that make sense? So let's have that expectation. So don't be like, oh my God, slow down, or oh, where do I put all this? Don't worry. We're just doing a high level flyby. These are some really good things that we're gonna talk about. But don't get frustrated and think, man, this guy must be way smarter than me. No, we're, we're, it's going to take time for all of us to really start to grasp these ideas, okay? So first off, though, um, I wanted to get into the idea of proofs. How many times have you run into somebody and they said, I would believe if? Have you ever had that? Super, super common. I would believe if. All right. This, this is a moment where you start to say, hmm. What would it take? Okay? But it's also a little bit of a trap. Remember I said, uh, according to Dr. Timothy Keller, that this type of apologetics really works best for those who already want Christianity to be true? Do you remember that? So here's the thing. If someone says, I would believe if, sometimes the proofs that they're looking for are impossible, and they will never, ever be pleased. I could debate you guys, like we did a little bit last week, and if it's in my heart and my mind that I'm never going to be convinced, you won't convince me, will you? 
No proof that you will ever offer me will be good enough. Why? It's unattainable. So here's so two things. First off is, you want to listen to that. What would it take? Because sometimes there are some honest people who are searching and you want to plug those holes and you want to build that bridge. The other side is, it may be a trap. <laughs> you know, I've got some friends who ask some stupid questions sometimes. Do they ask them because they're really looking for an answer? No, they're setting a trap. And you got to be like, whoa, yeah, I know what you're trying to do. And you don't even answer those questions because it gets into this right, rhetoric of messing around with each other. That can happen. So first off, though, when we start to look at this, I want to I posit this right here and say, God exists, prove it. So I just kind of laid the preface. I just laid it out there. Um, but I'm going to press you with that real quick as we get started. Prove to me that God exists. Can anyone prove that God exists? I hope by now you're kind of like, I don't know if I want to answer, Rob. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> no. No one can prove that God exists. On what level, we'd have to discuss. But definitively, there's nothing that I can do to definitively, without a shadow of a doubt, prove to you that God exists. Does that make sense? Do you know what's also true? Yes, sir. Why? Um, because I can't even prove to you what I ate for breakfast this morning without a shadow of a doubt. I can't prove to you, here I'm going to be a philosopher to you real quick. I can't prove to you that the universe wasn't created five minutes ago with the appearance of age and you were already logged with memories. No one can prove that. Okay, so you get into these real weird, deep philosophical holes. The thing is, is there are very, very few things in this life that you can prove without a shadow of a doubt. All right? That's why our court system doesn't say definitively prove. Okay? You gotta weigh the evidence, and then it's really a probability statement. Does that make sense? Because I can't prove definitively that someone did kill that person or not. But what we gotta do is we gotta weigh the evidence and sum all of that up, and now we have a verdict. All right? So, but, but here's the beauty. It works on the other side as well. Can you definitively prove that God doesn't exist? No. We are all in the same boat, trying to make sense of this world. But here's the thing. What we're gonna to try to talk about tonight are not proofs. All right, and we have to draw that line. Uh, we would call, we can sometimes call them proofs, but we don't mean proofs in the way that sometimes people want us to mean proof. What we call these are theodicies, or uh, where we're just saying here's here's some good reasons for why we believe what we believe, and here's some good answers to some of the critical questions we think. Right? Um, they they, they do, do a good job of answering these questions, but none of these on their own will definitively prove that God exists, and none of these collectively will prove definitively that God exists, because you, as a finite human being, cannot do that. Does that make sense? So once again, setting the, setting the expectations, but here we go. So when we, when we ask this, when someone's usually asking for a proof of something, um, uh, you know, see, I'm gonna pick on Stacy. Can you think of any example in the world that we can prove something? Now, I've got, I've got some stuff in the background. You can prove things mathematically, can't you? There are certain things that you can say I can provide a mathematical proof for, and it needs no further explanation, right? That's a very simple one. Two plus two is four. You can't, you can't explain that any further, right? That just makes sense. There's other things that we can do with math to prove things. Those are the types of proofs that we are not able to offer you. <laughs> Does that make sense? But sometimes those are the types of proofs that the skeptic is requesting. But you've got to be aware of that, that you can't provide those types of proof. 
and neither can they on the other side, all right? So much, much more could be said about that, but just let that set the pace a little bit before we jump into these things. So we've got to talk about a couple of things, and the first thing is, is arguments, and, and I believe um, that if we're going to do apologetics well, we're going to do evangelism well, we've got to be able to um, recognize two types of assertions uh, or, or types of arguments um, when we're dealing with people who may be skeptics because they're going to offer all sorts of things, all right? Um, and we're going to be trying to offer things. So the idea is that there, I'm going to put up a couple of questions here, and I want you to tell me whether or not these are subjective or objective truth claims. Now, what's the difference between those two before we get started? Does everyone know what objective means? Unbiased. Unbiased, yeah. It's either, it's either true or false, okay? I can prove it. I can test it, all right? That first one, I can bench four, I can bench press 400 pounds. You we could test that pretty quick, couldn't we? And I would fail that. All right, most of us in the room are probably Rick Cuscio. But that is an objective truth claim. It is not my opinion. It may very well be my opinion, but I am issuing a state, statement that can be tested. It is either true or false. Does that make sense? And let's do the next one. Country music is the best music. Subjective, right? You can't, <laughs> you can't definitively argue that, right? That's his preferences. It's neither true nor false, okay? So now we're getting the hang of it. Jesus is God, objective or subjective? It's either true or it's false. Either it's true or it's false. Does that make sense? I can be wrong about it. I can believe he's not, but that does not mean that he is or he isn't. Either he is God or he's not God. Does that make sense? Now I just, I'm, I'm kind of putting my foot in my mouth because I can't definitively prove that, right? But it is an objective truth claim that is meant to issue a true truth statement. Not just my preference that I would like Jesus to be God. I am actually saying, you know, Jesus either is God or he's not God. All right? It's an objective truth claim. Second, chocolate is better than vanilla. Subjective, right? Preference based. Truth is subjective. This one's fun. <laughs> objective or subjective? Yeah, it, it, it has to be objective. And you know what's funny? This is, what, this is an example of a self-defeating claim. Because if it's true, it's false. Does that make sense? Because if truth is subjective, <laughs> then the statement itself is false. Because it's trying to issue a truth claim that really tries to tell you how the world really is. Does that make sense? And therefore, it is an objective truth claim. So we have to be aware of these because people throw them out and we throw them out, right? So the idea is that objective truth claims are either true or false, okay? And subjective is neither true or false, but reveal preference rather than objective truth. And so then we got to get into premises and conclusions. And I know you're sitting there thinking, what are we doing? But this has to build a framework from which we move forward, okay? So the idea is a false premise leads to a false conclusion every time unless you're completely inconsistent and you never actually follow the premise. I'm not going to get into that, but that's a possibility, right? Have you ever seen someone throw out an assertion and then their conclusion does not follow in any way, shape, or form? And it's like, wait, you just move the argument. Now we've got to talk about something totally different. But the rule is false premise, false conclusion. Don't got your facts right, you're not going to have your conclusion right. All right? So the idea is when we start to look at this, anyone you talk to about whether or not God exists, they will be offering arguments which are made up of premises and conclusions. And the same is true for us. We're going to be offering arguments for why we believe what we believe. 
And these are um, going to be made up of premises and conclusions. Right? I'm going to set a premise, and I'm going to try to show you how it logically follows to X conclusion. All right? So let's take a look at a couple of these. There's really um, two basic types of arguments, and uh, what we talk, we talk about reasoning, reasoning, deductive reasoning. So let's go through one little syllogism here. All men are mortal, and I think anyone who's taken a philosophy 101 has seen this syllogism. All men are mortal. All right. First off, that is a true premise, right? So here now I've got Socrates is a man. What is the conclusion? Socrates is mortal, isn't he? Because I've got a premise, and I've got a particular case, and I've got a conclusion, and they all follow, right? As a general truth, all men are mortal. That is, that is true, isn't it? That's a true premise, except for Jesus. <laughs> but what we're talking about right here, we can follow it logically, can't we? And then we have a conclusion. But the other side is what we call an inductive. And that's where we get a little bit of information and we try to make a conclusion based on that information. And it gets a little bit tricky, okay? So here's a particular case. Now we're gonna recognize a pattern. Now, Chris already filled in the blank, so the mystery is gone. But what is the number that's missing from that series? 10, but can you prove to me that it's 10? It depends on what the data is representing, doesn't it? Because it is in this particular case, I can start to say, generally speaking, that when I see uh, a series increasing by twos, and I've got eight and 12 on either side of the one missing, I can uh, infer, right, that it is 10. But here's the, here's the case. Can you think of any counterexamples where this wouldn't have to be 10? I can. Let's, let's say that this data represents how many hot dogs were sold per each individual inning at a, at a baseball game. Now, we would look at that data and say, that's weird. That's setting a trend, isn't it? But there's no reason why we couldn't have sold only four hot dogs again in uh, the, the fifth inning. Does that, does that make sense? So we would infer that it's 10, but we, but we need to kind of, we need a little bit more information. And so the thing is, when we're talking about deductive versus inductive, Deductive is, is really clear and cut. We can, we can look, talk about true and false, but when we're talking about inferences um, or inductive reasoning, we're really starting to talk about probability. All right? So when we start to talk about recognizing design um, and, and all of these things for why we believe in God, we want it to be as deductive as possible, but we're going to make a lot of inferences. Does that make sense? We're going to be making a lot of probability statements. Because it goes back to the, the very you know, first thing we talked about, that I can't definitively prove any of these things. But what we can do is we can use both deductive logic and inductive logic. Deductive starts from the top and works down from general truth claims, okay? So let's, let's get one more example. If I've got a triangle, back to geometry here, and I know two of the angles, okay? Um, and and uh, I know that the sum of all three angles is 180 degrees. Does, does that make sense? Everyone following so far? All right, so if I've got a 90 and a 45, what's the last one have to be? Doesn't matter what your opinion is, that is going to be a 45 degree angle, isn't it? Why? Because I know from a general truth that a, the sum of all the angles is 180 degrees. When I'm looking at that one particular case, and I'm missing just one, but all the others are, are less 45 from 180, I deduce that and I am absolutely on the money, aren't I? Does that make sense? 
But there's so many other examples that we can talk about where inferences can be made. You know, I could say, uh, cats kill mice, okay? All right, well, mice, mice, mice have been dying lately. There must be a cat around. Maybe. But you can't prove, does that, does that make sense? There's some, lots of other things that we keep killing the mice, right? Or another one to say is that the ground is wet when it rains. Okay, the ground is wet, it must be raining. Maybe. Maybe someone's sprinklers were on, right? So this is, the, this is the difference, and you've got to be careful. Remember I said that you're not going to remember most of this? You're not going to remember most of this. But you have to be exposed to it because it really is important when you start to rub shoulders with people. And you can start to recognize some sketchy stuff. And we, 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 it actually gets really easy. You start to talk about this because we start to say, you can't be that dogmatic about your position. Because <laughs> really we're all talking about probability here. And most people we run into probably aren't statisticians who are going to really be able to. Does that make sense? So we're all kind of, uh, I love what Ken Gazaway used to say, we're pontificating. We're all talking about stuff we really don't know about. <laughs> but we are doing the best we can with the information we have. So everyone clear on that? Let's go ahead and, and do a quick review. This is, a, this is a statement that I want us to test. If atheism is true, then Jesus did not rise from the dead. I want to ask two things. Is this an objective truth claim? or a subjective truth claim? First off, that's the first question I want to ask. Objective or subjective? It is objective. And is it of the deductive or inductive type? Deductive, that's right. Because we have these two premises and we've got a conclusion here, the argument is objective and deductive. We are, we are saying that this is a statement about how the world really is. It's not my preference. Either atheism is true or it's false. But if it is true, then you have to face this question, this, this conclusion that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. All right. So let me look at this one right here. I'm going to give you, this is something people throw out all the time. The universe may be, a, uh, be one of billions of possible universes. Therefore, we shouldn't think it is fine-tuned for life. Because the odds are that one universe has to win the lottery. You might have heard that kind of a, a, an argument before. I hear it all the time when I'm talking about um, the origin of the universe. But what, what are they doing right here? First off, is this an objective or subjective? It's tricky, isn't it? it? Are they trying to tell you how the world really is? Yeah, they are. Now, but they are making an inference, aren't they? So this one is an objective, and it's inductive because it's making an inference, i.e. there are billions of other universes. This is not a general truth, is it? Because we only know of one. <laughs> So we can talk about maybe there's other universes, all right? So string theory, multiverse theory, all these crazy theories out there, they, they live, they exist. Um, but can we prove any one of them are true? No, we don't recognize any one of them as a law. It's, we can talk theory all day long, but once again, we're just talking about probability, all right? So when we, when we look at this, um, I want to actually dig into this one real quick. I'm going to take the mic off the stand. So when you're looking at this argument, the universe may be one of billions of possible universes, therefore we shouldn't think it is fine-tuned for life, because the odds are that one universe has to win the lottery. So if you think of um, you know, the, the, the Mega Ball or whatever, I don't, I, don't, I don't play it, so I don't really even know what I'm talking about when I'm trying to reference these things, but you, you think of the, the jackpot, the million millions, okay? Um, what are your odds of winning? They're not very good, are they? I haven't looked up the statistics. I don't know what the odds actually are, but they're, they're pretty slim, aren't they? But generally speaking, someone's going to win. Does that make sense? 
Somebody's going to win. Here's the same argument that they're trying to make. Is that yes, the universe appears to be designed, it appears to be fine-tuned, but someone had to win. Lucky us. But let, 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 me, let me push the argument one step further. And I got a little um, jar of Aerosoft ammunition, okay? So, now the odds of me picking any one of these is pretty slim, isn't it? Of any one particular one, okay? The odds are the same. There's 2,000 of them in here, all right? So the odds are one in 2,000, mm -hmm. and that exists. That's true for every one of these green ones. Is it everyone following so far? I have the same odds of picking up any one of these out of here, and it's a pretty slim odd, one in 2,000, all right? Well, now I took one of these, and I took a Sharpie. You can't see it very well without me losing it. There it goes. All right, it's a new game. Try to find this thing. Um, this one I colored gray, so it's, it's different than the rest of them, all right? So now, actually, I only have uh, 1,999 in here, and I've got one silver one. So far, so good? My odds are the same, that this has a 1 in 2,000, okay, probability of being selected, so I'm going to put it in here. So... If I put it in here and I mix it all up, and then I try to just take one, what are the odds that I'm going to pick that silver one? It's still one in 2,000, isn't it? But here's, here's where it gets a little bit trickier. Whenever I talk about any one of these, the odds are one in 2,000. But if I am talking about the favorable outcome of just that silver one compared to the other green ones, picking a green one is a 99.95% chance. Does that make sense? I've got a 99.95% chance of getting a green one. Now, any individual one, yes, it's still one in 2,000. But if I'm just talking about all the green ones, what are my chances of getting a green one? It's a 99.95% chance of getting a green one. That means that the odds of getting that silver one is a half a percent chance. Does that make sense? So when we say someone's got to win the lottery, yeah, but it's more likely that one of the green ones is going to win it, isn't it? 99.95% chance that a green one. Let's talk about the universe from the perspective of a life-permitting universe. Yes, Someone wins the lottery. We're in the universe. We're the only universe we know of. And is it life permitting? <laughs> yes, we're here. But the odds of us coming to this universe that is life permitting is drastically improbable. Does that make sense? Yes, someone had to win the lottery, but the silver one didn't have a chance, statistically speaking. Does that make sense? If someone said, I'm going to give you a 0.5% chance of surviving this surgery, are you going to do it? <laughs> you're dead. Statistically speaking, you're dead. Does that make sense? So we, we could talk about that all day long. And so, yes, somebody had to win the lottery. And if you actually get into, and I'm not because I'm, it's too much for right now, but if you get into all the physical constants and the true probability of uh, the real fine-tuning of like uh, the gravitational force, the weak force, strong force, all of that stuff gets insane. 
The probability on NASCAR is incredible. Um, William Lane Craig talks about uh, the, the odds of life permitting uh, a life permitting universe um, coming about if the weak force was uh, to deviate in one part in 120, um, one in 10 to the 120th power. I'm not a mathematician, so let me try to put that in better words for you. Basically, if you aim, and, and William Lane Craig says that if you aim at a one inch target on the other side of the observable universe and you hit it, those are the same odds. <laughs> Statistically speaking, it's impossible. Right? It's just absolutely absurd. So we can throw out things like this, and it sounds good, but we're actually still very much in trouble. The universe we find ourselves in is a very complex universe, and the odds of us getting this type of universe versus a non-life-permitting universe is drastically significant, statistically speaking. Everyone follow that so far, so good? All right, let's move on. Much more can be said about that, but let's take a look at this first premise. In atheistic materialism, God doesn't exist, miracles don't happen, and therefore God raises no one from the dead. So I just wanted to make sure that we get that. If atheism is true, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Because in the atheistic perspective, in the framework of true atheistic materialism, God doesn't exist, and if God doesn't exist, miracles don't happen. Okay? Miracles don't happen. God doesn't exist. Therefore, God doesn't raise Jesus from the dead. Everyone feel good about that? So that is an objective. Yeah, no. <laughs> that is an objective, deductive argument. And if it is true, we are in trouble. And Paul says it himself. He says that if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are to be pitied most of all. Remember? Super, super serious, all right? But there's a lot more to be said about that. So contingent, uh, necessary. Um, we have to look at this a little bit, and I know that we're taxing our minds a little bit. But let's look at causes and purpose. So when we say something contingently exists, that means it can fail to exist. It doesn't have to exist. And when we say something exists necessarily, it cannot fail to exist. There's no world in which we can imagine it not being there. Um, Boy, this can go down a really deep hole. But when you look at the universe, everything in the universe, from our perspective, either exists contingently or necessarily. Think of this clicker right here. Does it have to exist? Absolutely not. There's plenty of worlds in which we can imagine this doesn't exist. It's contingent. Now let's think about the number seven. Can we think of any world in which the number seven doesn't exist? Not really, right? So it gets, gets, gets weird. You can get way weirder than that. But let's just build slowly here. Okay, so I want to take a look at this. When we start to look at this, I want you to read this quote uh, from one of my philosophy of religion books, and I'll give you this in the book club thing at the end. Uh, it basically says this. If we look around us at the universe, each object we see, and all of them taken collectively, appears to be the kind of thing which does exist but might easily have not existed. Ultimately, the explanation of any contingent being's existence will be incomplete unless it culminates in the causal activity of a necessary being, a being that cannot fail to exist, a being that is the cause of the existence of all contingent beings. A necessary being is the only kind of being whose existence requires no further explanation. Now I know everyone loves philosophy and they're like, yes, this makes perfect sense, right? I get you. What basically is saying is that you only have two options in this whole universe. You exist contingently or necessarily. 
If you exist contingently, you don't have to exist. And the only explanation for your existence is something that does have to exist. Does that make sense? Are we okay with just that simplification there? But everything you look at in the universe, as far as we are concerned, has to have an explanation for its existence or it just simply exists necessarily, all right? Now, that gets tricky because then we start to look at the universe itself, all right? Big, big debate goes on here. So the contingent universe, we believe uh, that the universe is contingent. What does that mean? We just gave a definition of it. Does the universe have to exist? No. Now, we can't, we can't imagine it because it means we can't be there. So it's a bit of a mind trick for us to try and imagine the universe not existing because we're part of the universe. But here's some arguments from very smart people who help us think through it. Let me, let's go through it. So whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. This is a very good, very sound, deductive argument. And it comes from us, from the great mathematician uh, Gottfried Leibniz. Remember, he was a, a co-inventor uh, or discoverer of, of calculus, right? And he had to defend himself because Newton and him were battling over it, who invented it first, right? But this guy was a Christian, so was Newton. And if you get into their theology, well, you might not think they're Baptists, that's for sure. But <laughs> super smart guys. And this argument came from Leibniz. And he says, he says, this is just pure logic. And you cannot escape this. No one can escape this. I don't care who you are, you can't escape this. He says, whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. Now, premise one is absolutely watertight, isn't it? Whatever begins to exist has to have a cause. Let's not posit the universe yet, but let's just, let's just look at premise one on its own. Isn't that watertight? Doesn't that make sense? Okay, now, premise two, the universe began to exist. Here's where the, there's some debate. Not everyone is, is perfectly willing to agree that the universe began to exist. Why? Because it would therefore mean, three, that the universe had a cause. So we're going to battle over premise two. That's where it's won or lost. Whew. Okay. Anyone ever heard of uh, a presupposition? Anyone know what that is, presupposition? It's basically an idea you have before you come to the table. And it messes with what you do at the table. All right. Uh, some people call it uh, dry labbing. Uh, scientists who get in the lab and they see something, but their presuppositions won't allow them to accept it. So you got to make some stuff up to make that not true. Okay. Lots of crazy stuff goes on. But this guy was like, I don't care. You're not escaping this. All right. But the universe, uh, we can we can we can argue about it. Is it is it contingent? Did it begin? So there's, here's a, here's a question, right? Or a a, a a thought that we need to struggle through. Well then, what if the universe is eternal? What if it is infinite number of years old? Therefore, it never began to exist and we no longer need a cause for its existence. We've escaped the problem now, haven't we? Because the universe is an infinite number of years old. Now I don't need a positive cause, do I? Because it never began to exist. It's always existed. Everyone following? That's the idea a lot of physicists like to throw out there. Couple of problems and we'll look at two of them really quickly. And I've got some visual aids for us to try and help wrap our minds around this. The first one is a little one I like to do with dominoes. So you see, I had my kids um, color a couple of these dominoes, actually 10 of them here, with a Sharpie so that they are gray. Everyone see that? It might be hard for you in the back to see that. But I've got a series of dominoes right here, and I'm gonna make them fall. But there's 10 silver ones in the middle, and I want you to have that in your mind, that there's 10 silver ones in the middle. 
But what I'm going to do first off is I'm going to open up my iPhone app to the timer, okay? And I am going to try, it's not going to be accurate because I'm doing both jobs at once. Uh, I'm going to try and time the amount of time it takes for the first one to fall and the last one to fall, okay? That, that time in between, how long for the whole series to fall, all right? Everyone with me? At some point, the silver ones will fall, won't they? We're not going to, yeah, not, not, not too complicated. So let's start it. I'm going to bump it with my phone as I hit start. 1.19 seconds. That's a finite time, isn't it? Of 1.19 seconds. So the idea, if we think of an infinite universe, a universe is that, that is an infinite number of years old, what that literally means from the perspective of time is that there would be an infinite past we got to get through before we get to this moment. So now, come back to my domino analogy. What if there were an infinite number of dominoes this way? How long would it take for all the dominoes to fall before I knock down the ten silver ones? Infinity. It would never happen, would it? Never, ever, ever happen. So, so a truly non-temporal universe better not look anything like a temporal universe. But we see a temporal universe, don't we? We are here. We would have never gotten here if there was an infinite number of events that had to take place before today. Same thing. If there was an infinite number of dominoes that had to fall down before my 10 in this series, those 10 would never, ever fall. So right there. Now, just, just now have we brought the, the skeptic to their knees? Probably not. <laughs> but it's good stuff, right? We're, we're, we, we have a logical, inescapable argument. Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm not beating up the Bible. I love the Bible. Anyone who knows me knows that I will get down. We'll do some expository theology. We'll, we'll do that. But when I'm talking to people who are skeptics, I'm not going to go to the Bible first off. You know why? Because they've already dismissed it. It holds no water. I've got to work up to that. That is not to say that the scripture is not true. It says that my word shall not return void. I believe that. And I try to figure out ways to get in there, man. I'll do it. I'll work it. But that's not my only hill. Does that make sense? I'm going to do some battle with some other stuff. And I love to talk about science and philosophy. Uh, I'm not an expert. I'm an amateur. Okay? So I don't come at it as like I know everything. But we can do some good stuff, right? Most people I can encounter aren't much past. I'm, this is maybe arrogant. I've never met anyone who just floored me yet. Okay? What does that mean? Out there. Well, that's maybe, that's one conclusion. The thing is, is that most people aren't thinking about this at this level. They've got canned responses that they like to kill Christians with. And you get past those canned responses, it's on 99% of the time. I've, there's a handful of people that I've, that I've run into who are true philosophers, true scientists, and we can, we can go that next level. Very few people have actually lived there. Most people are living on these canned responses that they've just beat the heck out of Christians their whole life, and they love it. And then they come across someone who's thought about it a little bit, and then the can just gets blown up, and then you're like, well, what, what next? What else do you want to talk about? And then it's like, oh, no, that's a, we're good, right? <laughs> the idea is this doesn't solve all of our problems, but I want you to be equipped. I want you to think through this because most people aren't going to be thinking at this level. Now, this isn't rocket scientists. Uh, stuff, but this stuff is deeper than most people are going to be coming into. So the other idea I want you to, to think about uh, is 
And you probably don't know who that guy is, but that's Dr. Hubble, um, guy who built the Hubble telescope. Okay, really cool stuff. The picture we're looking at back there um, is, is from the, tubble, uh, the Hubble telescope, okay? Before the Hubble telescope, we really couldn't see that far into um, our galaxy and the universe. We, we couldn't really see that far. So there's a lot out there that we really weren't sure about. And there's still lots more. But everyone thought that the universe was static. We thought that it, it could be an infinite number of years old. All right. Now Leibniz, he gives us a great argument, but is the universe an infinite number of years old? Does it have to have an existence? All right, a, st a starting point. And so Albert Einstein in the 1920s, about the same time that Hubble was doing his uh, experiments and looking out there, Hubble starts to see, he goes, oh my gosh, we have evidence that the universe is expanding. All right. Uh, the science behind it is, 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 gets pretty complicated, but there's a basic idea of the Doppler effect. Um, anyone ever heard uh, like a car go by with sirens, like a, a police car, it's like Wee! It, it drops in pitch as it leaves. It is what's called the Doppler effect. Well, the same thing happens with light. Light is both a frequency and a particle, so you get into all that weird stuff. But whenever something is very far away, that means that that light wave is going to slow down over time in what they call red shifting. So lights that are furthest away are going to be more red in the spectrum than a light that is closer to you. Everyone following so far? So the idea is that when they start looking out there and they see these, these things way, way far away and they're more red and they can measure that they, be, they increasingly grow redder, we know that they are getting further and further away. At the same time, Einstein is coming up with his, uh, his, his idea of a static universe and based on his theory of general relativity, he's, he's got all these things worked out and he's like, but the, oh man, this means that the universe has to have a cause. It means it has to have a finite beginning. But that doesn't work. Why? Because he had presuppositions he brought to the table. And so he factored and fudged some things, right? Did some, some dry labbing, you know, make his numbers work. Well, then he gets invited to go hang out with Dr. Hubble, and then he sees for himself. And, and his famous quote is a byproduct of that. He says, um, I now see the necessity of a beginning. Because now Einstein could see for himself that there was good um, science showing the universe was expanding, in which actually his first math <laughs> showed him before he uh, fudged his numbers. And so I'm going to take this balloon, give you a little bit of a visual aid here. So this is a balloon. I'm going to blow it up. So I'm going to put the mic um, back in its holder here. So if I blow this balloon up, I've, I drew some galaxies and things on this balloon. Can you see that they are a certain distance from each other, right? And they're a certain um, size themselves. What happens if I continue to blow the balloon up? Get further, further, right? So the galaxies themselves start to expand just in reference to their own selves, right? But also in reference to other neighboring galaxies. And what happens when we, when we rewind it back? Excuse me. What's happening? They're getting closer and closer and closer, aren't they? And so the scientists then were left with no option but to say, if we rewind the clock all the way back, what do you have? You have a finite temporal beginning. And that's what Einstein said. Yeah. I now see the necessity of beginning. What happens to Leibniz's argument now? Do you see that? I just got goosebumps on nerding out hard. Do you see what happens with premise two? We already said premise one's there. We're just debating premise two. Now we have evidence, okay? 
for premise two to be true. Now the multiverse theorists can say, well, no, bunch bunches of them. You know, I could I could blow up more balloons. <laughs> okay, but each one of them still has to be explained, doesn't it? Each Not one of them. People at Washington University who think that I can be a first grade Chinese woman. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but here's the thing: is 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 our job is to provide answers for those who are willing to be intellectually honest. Remember I said we're building bridges, and this really works best for those who want Christianity to be true. If someone wants to be an idiot, and I'm just saying, they really want to be, because that's what I believe is happening. They're not being intellectually honest. Let's get that out there. Uh, in the world of, of philosophy, you know what philosophy means? Now, philosophia, it literally means the love of knowledge. That's what it doesn't mean that we question whether or not we really exist. You know, we can we can do some stupid questions like that, but philosophy literally means the love of knowledge, philosophia, and the philosopher's job is to pursue truth. So when people aren't good philosophers, that means they're not being intellectually honest and they're avoiding the truth for some other reason. Our job is to help the people who are being intellectually honest, who truly are pursuing the truth. Does that make sense? That's what we're trying to do. All right, I've got a few more minutes. I think we're doing good on time. Um, let's keep going with this. So this is a picture of, of Dr. Hubble and, and the Hubble telescope. It's really cool stuff. Um, man, it's always exciting to me to start to see when science <laughs> starts to plead our case a little bit. Mm -hmm. All right? Now, that, now, I'm not a guy who's going through the newspapers every day thinking, man, what have they discovered to prove the Bible true? I'm not, that's not what, what it's about. But it is so cool to see when science, when you say, okay, God, you're so big, you're so infinite, you're so magnificent, this universe that you built is so complex. And then science is just, as they're trying to discover things and work it out, there it is. You know what I mean? So it's really cool and exciting. Um, and so here, you know, I'm going to plug one, one little thing here. I, I was in California all week and uh, met this engineer. Um, we had a great conversation in the parking lot at Grace Community Church. Uh, and uh, he did his graduate work in electrical engineering at Caltech. And, and he, he, was, he, was, he was an engineer. Um, and it's awesome, you know, I'm, I'm a wannabe engineer. I don't have a degree in engineering, but I, I love it. And so we're talking about, you know, magnetic field alignment and, and uh, you know, the right hand rule and all that good stuff. And, and we're trying to nerd out together, but I'm like, man, bring it back. What, what do you think God's doing with your intellect and your job and what you're doing? It is so refreshing to see people who are excited about going into business and science, not afraid to uncover the rocks. Does that make sense? And one of the things he said to me, which I love, and in my own experience, I believe it. He said, he goes, it was really interesting, he goes, is all the engineers I work with, he goes, there's a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians. And in my experience, too, I work with a lot of engineers. I'm a wannabe engineer. What we see is a lot of engineers who can recognize something. Design. Right? We could talk all day long about we got an idea, but actually making it work is another thing, isn't it? But when you see such complex systems working well, you have nothing but mad respect for that because you know every little step that went into it, not just the planning and foresight, but the execution at a level of accuracy that is truly impeccable. <coughs> that is pretty hard to get away from, all right? So we could talk all day on that, but I want you to go uh, with me to another place. So when we look at um, a couple of things with design and purpose in our last few minutes here today, 
One of them is towards a good design, and we'll talk about that. And that's what we say is the, is the purpose. What's, what's the purpose? What's the end goal? Then we're going to ask the question, can it malfunction? And three, where does information lead us? So let's take a look at Aquinas' five proofs. We're not actually looking at his five proofs. Um, we're looking at his fifth proof, which is four arguments. Chris today uh, texted me and goes, hey, man, you only got four of the five. <laughs> and I said, no, it's, it's proof five with four arguments. And he said, yeah, you philosophers and your deep math, right? <laughs> so the fifth, the fifth proof with four arguments, like we need to you know, make this any harder than it is, he says, he says a couple of things here that are really good, good things. Um, comes from a guy, uh, Thomas Aquinas. I recommend you reading him. You're not going to like reading him um, because he's, he, he, he's not written for the us's of the world. But go wrestle with him anyways. Here's some stuff from his Summa Theologica. Uh, and he says, we see that natural bodies work towards some goal and do not do so by chance. All right? And then he goes on to make the next observation. He says, most natural things lack knowledge. We could say that, right? A drop of water doesn't have a brain, does it? But somehow the hydraulic system works, right? The water, you, you, you got, this, you got this, this cycle, okay? And it's working towards a good end, and it doesn't do it by chance. It happens every time pretty, pretty much when these scenarios are lined up. It's going to happen. Does that make sense? Um, our hearts are pumping blood. There's all sorts of things that are going on. Now he says, but as an arrow reaches its target because it is directed by an archer, what lacks intelligence achieves goals by being directed by something with intelligence. And so this is that engineer recognizing, wow, that's producing something pretty cool. Who thought that up? Right? Because natural things that don't have a mind, and somehow they're working consistently to produce a good end, that drives you back to, who made that? Who designed that? Right? And then he says, four, therefore some intelligent being exists by whom all natural things are directed to their end, and this being we call God. And I love this. And you can, you can talk for days and lots and lots of examples. Uh, I just want to introduce you to it. You can go kind of think about it a little bit more on your own. But this is true and awesome at the same time. Okay? Sometimes you think truth doesn't always dictate relevance. Something can be true but totally irrelevant. This is one of those things that I feel like is true and relevant. All right? Let's move on to the next point. When we look at this, can it malfunction? I love this bit from J.P. Moreland. He says, hearts don't malfunction when they fail to pump blood. Because that would mean that they were designed to pump blood in the first place. Analogous to carburetors. He says a carburetor can malfunction because it was designed to pump fuel. So J.P. Moreland's getting in front of all these medical students at this big conference, and he steps up and he says, hearts don't, hearts don't malfunction. They're like, what? We see heart attacks all the time. Well, that, that just, statistically speaking, people with, uh, with, with bad hearts die, and people who have good hearts live, but hearts don't pump blood on purpose. Does that make sense? And because that would infer design. He says a carburetor can malfunction because it was designed to do something. And when it doesn't do that thing it was designed to do, now it's malfunctioning. But you can't say that about a heart if it just statistically speaking finds itself pumping blood or doesn't find itself pumping blood. Do you see that? Wrestle with that a little bit further. I know. Wrestle with that a little bit further. But what we're doing is we're borrowing language all the time. You can't talk about design and not borrow some language. Either it's totally by chance, or it's not. And if it's totally by chance, you cannot talk about malfunctioning. Malfunctioning only happens when there was a design end in mind. Okay? What I said, you're not going to remember all of this. Here you go. 
This is good stuff right here. Information always leads you back to a mind. We're, we're about to wind down here, so hang with me. This comes from Dr. Stephen Meyer, and this is uh, one of his books called Darwin's Doubt. It's an incredible book. Highly recommend that you get it. If you don't, um, you know, we're, gonna, we're pushing books all the time. You can still get on YouTube and look these guys up, okay? Uh, Stephen Meyer has some great stuff, some videos, lectures, and talks that he's giving on his books, and it's almost as good as if you read the book. So there's an easy way out there as well. But this is one of the things he says. Information always leads you back to a mind. This is a critical premise when we're looking at uh, design and, and evolutionary biology. Uh, because what do we see in, well, just like we've got this, this double helix, right? This is an example of DNA. Well, what we know now is DNA is incredibly complex, all right? We, we didn't know a lot about it uh, not too long ago, right? You know, uh, Watson and Crick's, they're, they're, they're helping our, our minds here, and we started to look at it. Now we, can, well, now we know that it's so complex that there's so much information, so much instructions written in there so that a cell can keep reproducing itself and aligning amino acids and proteins to do what? To do something good, to keep me from dying, to keep my cells regenerating, to make my wounds heal, to make my body fight infection. But when you get down at that cellular level and you start to look at that, there's so much information in there, literally instructions telling the cell how to rebuild itself. Okay. Um, now, I come from manufacturing, uh, and, and my background is, is in industrial and process engineering. And I can tell you that whenever I look at a, a program, so um, you know, there's been a time in my life where I'm messing around with, and I still do, I teach people how to write CNCG code. Anyone know what that is? No, okay, maybe not. So if I, if I have a, and we make airplane parts, um, very highly engineered airplane parts. One decimal in our world is the, in, right, right, is the difference between life and death. Okay, now I've got thousands and thousands of lines of code making this highly complex product. And if I have someone green gets in there and starts to try to make edits, they're probably gonna mess something up. Really easy to mess something up, all right? Now let me think. Let me let me let me throw this at you. When we're looking at DNA and all of the information, the instructions that are in there, you cannot afford to have errors. All right. So anyone who knows anything about writing code, now let's think of. Okay, DNA came to be as it is through random chance, mutations, all these things. Okay, random chance means random information being thrown out there. How long do you think it would take to randomly throw out G code? to get just one 737 ox rib, right? One, one piece that goes on a wing. It's not gonna happen. I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm not, I haven't done the math. It's not gonna happen. Because I know how hard it is to do it when I've got everything working well, okay? Because temperature matters, right? All of these things start to matter. When you start to think, oh, all of this complex information happened by chance, it is incredibly um, improbable. Let me give you one quick example, and, and, and I'm trying to finish this up, so. Um, we can end on time. Here's an example of a bicycle lock here, okay? And I've got four possible combination um, digit uh, zones right here, right? So I've got these, these are uh, zero through 10, so actually you could, you could count 11 if you wanted to, but let's just keep it simple and say um, one through 10, okay? Does that make sense? Everyone follow me? Um, so we can, we can go all day about that, but here's the deal. I've got four numbers. I've got a specific combination that I'm looking for. So when we take that, so it's one, two, three, four, so 10 times 10 times 10 times 10. Does everyone see that? Because there's 10 possibilities and there's four possibilities for each one of those 10 combinations. So that exponentially is 10 to the fourth power, which we know is 10,000. 
10,000 possible combinations that you could get right here. Everyone with me so far? Not very likely to get the right combination the first time, are you? So remember we had that one, that was one in 2,000? So this is one in what? Yeah, your odds, your odds are not very favorable, okay? But here's the thing, when we look at DNA code, it's way more complex than this. Um, you see Meyer has a bit on this, and he's talking about 10 to the 77th power. Numbers that we don't even, we can't even, we can't even put our minds around, all right? We start to think like that, it's insane. 10 to the 6 is a million, 1 in a million, okay? So 10 to the 77th, it's a huge number. So someone can sit there, and I did the math on this, and someone can double check me if they want to, Stacy probably will right now. Um, <laughs> if I have 10,000 possible combinations, and I get a new combination every five seconds, it's gonna take me about 14 hours before I go through all of these possible combinations. So you can solve it if you've got enough time, but, you, but your system better support you, right? That's saying every five seconds you have a new different combination. What is the chance that you're not gonna ever repeat yourself? If it's just random. You're going to repeat yourself over and over. So just take that. If I never repeat myself and I get a new combination every five seconds, it's gonna take me 14 hours before I go through all the possibilities. Never repeating myself. The idea is that when we look at the complexity of life that, that we see, Chance does not answer the question. Statistically speaking, it does not answer the question. So much more can be said on that. I wish I had more time. There's some crazy examples we can give, but I have to move on um, and try to finish this up with our last slide today. So C.S. Lewis has a great bit on morality. All right, This is one of those other things that we can argue for the existence of God um, is morality when we look at it. And he says, the accused never tries to argue away some moral law, but tries to show that they are not actually found in violation of it. Okay? So if someone's, excuse me, if someone's been accused of lying or stealing, are they like, uh, typically speaking, are they saying, there's nothing wrong with lying and stealing? Are they, are they typically, is that what they say? No, typically what they're gonna say is, I wasn't lying, or no, I didn't steal that. What does that do? That points to what we would say there's an objective moral law and everyone knows about it. We can play stupid, but we all know about it. We got it written on our hearts, don't we? All right, so the value of cheating, this is an incredible example. Uh, after values clarification training, a sixth grade class in Massachusetts decided that they valued cheating on tests. The teacher responded, in my class, you must be honest because I value honesty. In other areas of your life, you may be free to, chew, to cheat. Okay, so this was, a, this was a teacher who was trying to give her students all this value clarification. Ah, no, no one can tell you what's right. You've got to find out what's right on your own. This, these guys were smart. Well, we collectively, as a body, have decided we value cheating. <laughs> wow. So what's her response? Not in my class. You see that? You can do that anywhere else. And so the idea is, is persuasion from the barrel of a gun. You get, you get that? It's like, you're free to take my advice, but might makes right. I'm the one grading the papers. You get that? And so we see people trying to create these new standards, but it's impossible for them to live unhypocritically based on these new standards. And, you know, Chris was saying that, you know, steal, steal that girl's purse, all right? You know, that's what Francis Schaefer would say is taking the roof off. Take their conclusion to the logical end and see what happens. Because probably they're going to, at some point, 
show that they're not being consistent in my worldview. All right. So much, much more can be said about that. I want to introduce these books, and I'm going to make a final remark, and then I'm going to hand it over to Chris to, to, to finish this off. But these are the books that basically helped me think through what we just went through. A whole lot more in each and every one of these. I cannot even begin to tell you. So Reasonable Faith by William Lane Craig, it's a hard book. It's going to challenge you. It messes me up. I'm, I mean, I've read this book a lot of times, and, and it's just it's just going to do that to you. Okay, philosophy of religion. This is one of my textbooks in, in, in undergrad. Uh, I still it's so beat up. I wish I would have thought to bring it to you. I mean, it is destroyed because I travel with it all the time. It's one of those books that I'm like, let's see what this thing says. All right, um, a couple guys from uh, I believe they're from Yale and uh, in the philosophy. Um, so. Darwin's Doubt by Stephen Meyer, we just talked about that a little bit. Relativism is from Francis Beckwith and Greg Kolkel. Uh, they're guys, they're Biola guys, uh, and we'll deal a lot with Greg Kolkel on our last week. Um, really good stuff. And then Summa Theologica, the five proofs of, of Thomas Aquinas. Just Google that one. <laughs> You're not really going to have a good time trying to actually go read that. Um, I, I've looked at my library, I've got it, and I started looking at it, and I'm like, <laughs> no, we'll get, the, we'll get the Google quote here. All right, so... Um, in conclusion, the things that we just went through tonight, I hope that they can help you formulate an, a, a, an intelligent response to some of these questions. But two things, never forget, one, that we're in the business of building bridges, okay? You can be the smartest person in the world and do no bridge building. Do you get that? Now it's one of those things that I had to learn early on. I'm like, man, I'm pretty sharp. I, can, I got a photographic memory. I can remember. I can beat some people up with this. Then you start thinking, man, no one wants to even talk to me. My friends don't want to talk to me anymore, right? Much less am I going to convince anyone for Christ, all right? So two things, we're going to look at that. You know, we are in the business of bridge building, all right? But the second side is, is don't be afraid to stand up. Don't be afraid to ask some questions. Don't be afraid to say, I'm not buying what you're selling. It doesn't make sense. Because a lot of times what the world will try to do is say to you that you're a Christian, therefore you're an idiot. It is... It is an ad hom that happens all the time. They'll say, if you believe in the supernatural world, don't you know that that has completely been disproven? Can't you? Well, come to the 21st century, will you? Don't let them beat you up and intellectually shame you. Because there's so much that they can't answer that we actually have pretty good responses to. All right? Thank you. That's good. Good job. I, mean, I just think it's cool we can say Einstein believes with us. But um, how many of you were like me and took uh, a college major that had the least amount of math? <laughs> just a few of us, because there's so many engineers around here. It's kind of funny. But um, I want to just point out a couple things. You know, as we're in a day, Rob, Rob pointed something out, and I want us to catch it. As we share the gospel with people today, um, we have to start before the Bible. And I want you to hear that. Because we live in a world that doesn't understand the Bible as credible. And so often as Christians, we go, well, the Bible says it. And, and, and that's exactly true. There's confidence in, for us as believers. But we are engaging a, a world that is not believing. And, and so... We can't just be Bible beaters. And so this is why we're pushing us, pushing our church, to begin to share the gospel and starting with origin, starting earlier. 
And this is very important. Now, now you can Google some of these thinkers. You need to Google Zach, uh, uh, Robbie Zacharias. He is phenomenal with his arguments and in, in, in his debates and how he engages people in college uh, classrooms, college campuses. You need to Google William Lane Craig. We live in a phenomenal day with incredible resources out there that, that can help you sit down and think and sit down and wrestle as we learn to think. Now, it's interesting. Um, I, I, we went and saw uh, this weekend the movie Hidden Figures. I don't know if you've seen that. Good movie, really good movie. Uh, I don't often recommend movies, but uh, 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 just a good story. Um, but it was interesting to me. As, I, as we got there early and watched all the previews prior to that movie, there, there's a new movie coming out about dog reincarnation. You know, everybody loves dogs. Man, I love my dog. I, mean, I pray I'm, I become the man my dog thinks I am. <laughs> and, um, but, I, but I look at that. Now, here's what's interesting about our culture. There are going to be people that buy, the, buy into that philosophy. There's another. Every preview was something spiritual, dealing with some sort of, there was one, I can't remember the premise, something about uh, death and, and, and uh, tragedy and problem of evil. And, and, and this is the philosophy of our age that is, that is uh, a world grasping straws, shame, like, like shaming us, good word that we can be shamed. Oh, well, we just not very smart. The, the, the universe is infinite. Like, oh, like our textbook, kids' textbooks say, this is 50 billion years old. There's no beginner, beginning. Oh, you know, we need to learn to wrestle with these philosophical ideas. We need to, we need to um, train, like when Paul says, train yourself to be godly. We've got to train ourselves to think. And yes, we all need a nap after <laughs> wrestling with this. And the, and, and the highest grades I ever got in philosophy classes were papers that I didn't understand that I wrote. <laughs> it was like the, most confu the more confusing you can make a paper, the higher the grade. <laughs> and, so, and I remember presenting papers and, going, and walking away from that presentation going, I have no idea what I just said. And the professor goes, that was great, Chris. Thank you. But let's learn to think. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, you are the God of all creation. You are God and we are not. And we submit to you. We pray that you would help us love you with our heart, with our mind. Oh, Lord, help us love you with our minds. Yes with our soul, and with our strength. Lord, we hear your call. We know the purpose that you, you created this universe. You created each one of us for a reason. And help us be, be believers that learn how to take a stand, but do it with gentleness and respect. 
I thank you for men like Ravi Zacharias that can take very hostile questions and, and communicate complex truths in loving ways. And I thank you that we have the opportunity to, to watch him respond and learn from a man like that. Bless him. But William Lane Craig, the way that he can articulate and write down some things that, how does that mind work? Or for Rob Lewis, for blessing us with him. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to grow. And we love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have a great night. See you.